Welcome to a very special edition of the Companion Briefing Podcast. It's a little later than usual, but this week, commencing June 7th, we're going to discuss the Loki series that has just dropped on Disney+. Plus. Talk about some of the content you might have missed on the Companion, as well as tease what we've got coming this week and much more. I'm your host, Tommy Terry Green, and I'm joined, as always, by our editor, James Hoare. Hi, James. Hi, Tommy. And uh, much like a keeper at an aquarium, I am burdened with glorious porpoise. <laughs> Yeah, it's been a very exciting week. In fact, pretty much all the content that we've got to talk about from last week on The Companion is is Loki-based. It's pretty Loki-heavy for once. No, it is. It is we, we are not going low-key on Loki. And the, the I, I think I'm probably done with the puns now, by the way, so you can all breathe. breathe How long bit. have you had low-key on Loki in your back pocket? Is it, has it been a while? For, I think since the first Thor film. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you finally got to use it. No, no, you um, never, well, let's just... never leave a good idea behind, or even a mediocre one. <laughs> well, let's waste no time. Let's talk about what we had last week, because I really just want to get onto the main uh, topic of today's podcast and just talk about Loki. So let's talk about what we had last week on The Companion first, so we can get right into it. Well, last week we had a uh, one of our Loki preview articles by Ben Falk, and I was looking at the role of um, time and the policing of time in Stargate Travelers and comparing it to, to what we'd seen of the, the TVA in Loki and uh, it's already hurtling towards redundancy because people have seen it there and it will soon become apparent it's not anything like Travelers or Stargate but you know we, di- we dined on that while we could we also were uh, dropped some lovely behind-the-scenes photos from the hard drive of Stargate SG-1 VFX chap, John Gadeski. Um They've been used before on the Companion, but it was a long, long time ago. Most of you are new box-fresh members. Um, so it's just an opportunity to, to revisit that. And it also comes with the, the glorious new feature of... Um, the embedded audio interview which is nice especially on our app because it's got a uh, particularly sexy audio player isn't that right tommy yeah i'd love to promote the app and my my audio players on there so yeah i'm really glad that uh, that's now available because i think before we sort of previewed some of that interview but now we've lost in transmission we've just kind of thrown the whole interview out there and it's it's a really great conversation there's a lot of great tidbits that didn't make it into the original um, piece so it's really exciting that that's now available for for everyone absolutely and you know last but by no means least because it is going to form a rainbow bridge like segue to the uh, to the bulk of this podcast um it's clint worthington's preview of the first two episodes of loki on disney plus and the Good man is here himself. Hello. Hello. Oh, sorry. I just dropped in from a, from a mysterious portal in time and space. Hello. <laughs> I'm in a jumpsuit now for some reason, too. It was very strange. And I had to sign a lot of forms about uh, everything I've ever said and done. <laughs> Never has bureaucracy been so fun and interesting, though, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. We'll talk about the TVA there. Uh, but, uh, yeah, thanks for having me on, y'all, and uh, for letting me write a, a fun little preview of things to come for Loki and uh, or what has well, what has passed and what is to come and uh, a few other things probably before the, the show is done. 
Yeah, for sure. No yeah, problem. Absolutely. I mean, having having you on here with us has, you know, increased our listeners by one. So it's, it's <laughs> exactly <laughs> happy to be of service. Um, yeah, thank you for having me here. I mean, I'm a, I'm a t- film and TV critic. I, uh, I write for Consequence. I have my own outlet, The Spool. I, uh, you can find some of my other stuff uh, on Vulture and Nerdist. And uh, I run a couple other podcasts myself, uh, Travolta Cage with uh, with Nathan Rabin, where we go through the filmographies of John Travolta and Nicolas Cage in chronological order to see where they sort of overlap. And uh, a composer interview podcast uh, right now called more of a comment, really, but may rebrand now that we are fully in the swing of interviewing strictly composers. Excellent. Well, yeah, very excited and very lucky to have you on board. Thank you. Yeah, I'm, podcasting is just like breathing for you. I do what I can, <laughs> uh, which is uh, breathing. Ironically, one of the first things you have to learn not to do in during a podcast, unless you're doing that's, ASMR. That's a very good point. That's a good yeah. distinction to draw. So let's dive in then. So we've all seen the first episode of of Loki it, uh, recently dropped on Disney Plus. Um, by the way, I sh- firstly before we really dive into it, I just want to say how glad I am that Disney Plus are doing weekly releases. Uh, the, the binge model's fine. But I much prefer this week to week kind of, you know, bringing back the water cooler discussions every week of what's going to happen next. This is this is TV for me. This is what I like about TV is this kind of, um, yeah, weekly tentpole event. What do you guys think? No, I absolutely agree. I mean, um, Amazon is starting to do that again with a lot of stuff. I think that that was one of the reasons why The Boys season two stayed in the cultural consciousness a lot. HBO still maintains it, which is why shows like Mayor of East Town, like Mayor of East Town, uh, broke the HBO Max app during the finale. Like, wow, you know, uh, the the Snyder cut didn't do that. The Mayor of East Town finale did. So it's just a testament to like the, the 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 momentum that's able to build up when, like you said, you can have those water cooler discussions when something is being distributed piecemeal. And it also helps for pacing, too, because now you can actually build episodes like individual stories and not like an eight hour movie necessarily. Yeah, completely agree. James, what do you think? What do you prefer? Um, it, It's interesting. I, I don't know if there's um, I don't know if I necessarily have a preference. I mean, I, I'm. I am not exactly spoilt for social activity at the moment. So um, the binge model does does really fit very well with my um, lifestyle, if we can call it that. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, but I, I'm really, I've got so much admiration for the way that Disney Plus with, you know, the Marvel shows and with Mandalorian really dominate like the trending spot on Twitter every week, they dominate discourse, and that goes right back to that kind of, um, you know, golden age of broadcast drama, which is which is lovely to see because we'd sort of moved away from that. There were very few TV programs that could inspire that sort of reaction from people and that sort of uh, conversation around them. You know, occasionally there was a there was a Game of Thrones or a Line of Duty or whatever else, but you know they've. Listening Plus just managed to do it every time, and on a uh, a medium that is is kind of not the natural ally to that that format of releasing. Yeah, I think there's a, there's a case to be made for. I think there are certain shows for that for which that works, the binge model. But I think maybe it worked a lot better in the early days when there weren't five new streaming shows coming out every weekend and basically expecting you to binge it over the weekend and then the cycle for discussion of it ends. And so even if you 
wait a week or two to watch a, a binge dropped season of something because you just didn't have the time. Um, you feel behind the conversation. And uh, so I think, yeah, it, it, it tends to be the social element of a week to week thing that really appeals to me. Yeah, completely agreed. So let's get social about Loki then. So the first episode has just come out. I didn't know too much about it, to be honest. I'd, I'd kind of seen maybe a slug line or, or, or two, but I didn't see many images. I, I tried to stay away from trailers and things like that. So I was, I really came into it with an open mind, kind of ready and excited. And I guess one of the main things about Loki for me, the character is that I'd kind of felt that his arc was done and like his story, he'd, he'd done a complete circle now. He's, he's kind of, he had a great ending in Infinity War. And I was just kind of curious to see how they push that forward. Obviously, we saw him again in Endgame and they kind of, it was like a backdoor pilot in 30 seconds. But I was kind of interested to see what they do with the character now. But I think they've reset it in a really clever way. What's everyone else's first thoughts about that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, clearly Marvel agreed with you that Loki's story was done. The, the You know, the arc was complete and they sort of shrugged and decided to start the arc again, which is great. I'm, I'm here for this. No, no good idea should be, should be left behind. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's great. I, like you, I avoided all sort of previews of it or anything else. I came in completely free of expectation and it was so refreshing to be shown, you know, different palette, a, a kind of a different kind of story as well. And, to, to open up completely different avenues, especially after Falcon Winter Soldier, which was a very straight continuation of the story that had been told in the, the Captain America and in the Avengers movies. Yeah, uh, right off the bat, Loki definitely sets itself apart, sets itself more in the WandaVision mold, uh, which is a show that I very much enjoyed in the first half before it descends into kind of the the standard Marvel shooting magic CG at each other kind of trappings. And, um, and it didn't really, it didn't explore a lot of the more interesting moral questions of that premise to, to my satisfaction by the end. But right now, and again, like I feel like Falcon and winter soldier and WandaVision have both primed me to ex have low expectations for a Marvel show by the time it's over. But um, based on the first two episodes, cause I've seen next week, um, I, I'm, things are looking up. It, it's delightfully weird. It's uh, it it cribs from a lot of influences, but without um, without feeling too derivative. Like you know the you know there's the time cop piece y'all had, but I think um, maybe reference that uh, is maybe more accurate for this particular approach is DC's Legends of Tomorrow, uh, where it is like and it's very it's specifically time cop too. Just those ideas of like specifically going from a central police procedural hub to fixing anachronisms and things like that. Um, but, um, centering it around Loki of all people too, which is, as you said, a character that has already had a very set, um, trajectory as a character and starting that over again with the knowledge that, that, um, that arc still exists and sort of that metafictional idea of plucking a fictional character out of their own story, showing them where the story is going to go and letting them decide, um, what they want to do with that knowledge. And I think those twisty metatextual things like the TVA is essentially Marvel's continuity department um, subtextually, which I think is really, really interesting right down to, I think Mobius in the comics was based on, and even Owen Wilson's look is styled after Marvel's main continuity guy. They like designed that character after their internal uh, continuity expert. Um, so I'm very interested in the metafictional aspects of it as well, but even just as a show, it's really charming. It has those sort of doctor who elements of uh of sort of a, you know, a, a jaunty, skinny British man 
uh, jaunting through time and space, uh, solving various mysteries. And I will say the Doctor Who comparisons um, will continue into episode two. Um, there, there may or may not be an event that uh, Loki pops into to observe that has been explored in a Doctor Who episode before. Um, so I'll give you that. I was just going to talk about the influences as well. So two of the influences that uh, showrunner Michael Waldron talked about were Mad Men and Catch Me If You Can, which, I mean, Mad Men's my favorite TV show of all time and Catch Me If You Can is in my top five favorite films of all time. So this is very much made for me, it feels like. But I find that so fun and interesting because it's, you know, you can talk about Legends of Tomorrow and Doctor Who, which are very genre and, you know, adjacent, whereas Mad Men and Catch Me If You Can, they, they have a real style and... um you know a slick 60s feel to them and, and you kind of got that that impression straight away with this episode with the kind of aesthetic and the feeling i mean not to jump too far ahead but the the db cooper moment was just fantastic and i hope we get more moments like that of just you know loki up to mischief you know on midgard earth uh throughout time i, just, I think that's that's fun and I, I, I want more stuff like that and i'm so glad we got moments like that which i think it needed because this first episode i will say was probably a little exposition heavy um obviously they use the brilliant jurassic park exposition technique of just like creating a great little cartoon and fun character to, which was voiced by tara strong by the way for uh, you voice actor fans out there who obviously yeah. voiced the original harley quinn amongst many many other characters but um i love that kind of exposition device and i think even though it was a little slower and a little exposition heavy it did have to be and i'm hoping they kind of take the brakes off a little bit now when we have more fun with it yeah, it was sort of a necessary level of exposition there. It was a, a plaster that they needed to to tear off, but unfortunately we had to sit there and watch them tear it. Um, for sure. And it really grinds some of the exposition for me, and I thought that was the, the weakest element of it. And like the repetition of that line, it's an illusion, it's a cruel elaborate trick conjured by the weak to inspire fear, just came across as quite clunky. It was like something a local theatre troupe would do. You know when they're they're touring their their anti bullying skit around high schools. Um, well, that that and the fact that that line comes back later, you can tell as soon as you hear it. You're like, oh, Loki's describing himself. You're not being all that clever. Like this is this is the subtext that is going to be lifted by episodes end. And I mean, I appreciated um, sort of the existentialism of the first episode. That idea of of watching your life flash before your eyes and and sort of your your own ideas of your own self being upended and he, like. You you do have to spend that first episode kind of unmaking Loki and humbling him, especially when you're snatching him right off of his most sort of cartoonish and megalomaniacal version of himself from 2012 Avengers. Like he was just the simpering Joss Whedon quip spouting madman and suddenly he has to have his powers taken away and he has to realize the harm he's going to do to the people that, you know, however little he admits it, he deeply cares about when he sees what happens in Thor the Dark World, which, by the way, Endgame and Loki are working really, really hard to make Thor the Dark World like one of the most important <laughs> elements in the MCU. <laughs> and it was like one of the weaker films. Uh, I do appreciate that that rehabilitation. Um, but uh, yeah, seeing those, seeing the way those things happen and sort of him having to question the, na- the nature of his villainy, where it comes from. There, It is kind of Loki therapy for this first episode and i will say i i kind of don't want and again like i i'm i'm happy to like pump the brakes and get the adventure going but i i fear i don't want it to become uh an action show again um i kind of like this sort of um madman as you say meets uh meets police procedural meets um 
especially with the aesthetic kind of Brazil. Uh, that was the thing that reminded me, the, the TVA reminded me most is Terry Gilliam's brilliant Brazil. Uh, it looks right out of like information retrieval, you know? Um, so I, I, I want this to be a slower, more character focused show, especially since some of the best um, moments in both episodes, I will say are, is the dynamic between Tom Hiddleston and Owen Wilson. They are fantastic together. Yeah, it's brilliant. I think Owen Wilson's perfect as well because his, like as an actor, his, disinterest in the mcu shines through to mobius who's also got a complete disinterest into any of the like you know any anything going on in that storyline i think it's a a real nice like meta feeling but what what i really like about the catch me if you can Mad Men thing isn't just the style and the look of it it's the kind of question of identity that they both have where you've kind of got this you know who is don draper who is dick whitman and then kind of who is frank abagnale jr because he plays so many people throughout you know that that film and i think that's that's a great uh, theme that we're going to see throughout this of like, who is Loki? Cause he's a shapeshifter and he's, he's playing a character even when he's quote unquote himself. So I really can't wait to explore that. I think that's going to be a great, great journey. Yeah. I'm sort of hoping that they, they lean into that idea of uh, predestination in terms of his character, because you do sort of feel for the guy. Cause I mean, he's the God of mischief. Like what's everyone been expecting this whole time? Like he's not just going to, like tie people's shoelaces together. Like he's he's really just playing out a role that has been granted to him by the universe. And, you know, and it goes back to that metatextual kind of element that you were talking about. It's also the role that has been given to him in the show. His motivations are, are pretty kind of wafer thin, which I think they were getting at in this first episode. Like, why do you want to rule the world exactly? Why? But why? Seriously, why? And it never really kind of... Um, yeah, never, the explanation doesn't seem particularly convincing. Um, I'm glad you brought up Brazil, though, because it is absolutely one of my all-time favourite films, and it is mm-hmm. it totally reminded me of that. And I think some of the other references for me was um, FX's Legion, which I was a massive fan of, mm-hmm. which kind of used a very similar retro-futuristic kind of look, mm-hmm. even though Legion and like Loki was impossible to follow. Um, there's even, there even a hint of Wallace and Gromit I thought in Loki is drops naked to the floor and emerges <laughs> yeah. with his trousers on like all it was missing was the machine that soft boils his eggs and I think we were we were there yeah well who knows maybe there's a future episode where that shows up um, <laughs> but uh, but no I, and, and I agree with you that the uh, the ontological questions for Loki are very interesting it's sort of this uh, character rehabilitation in a very literal way because um, and it raises some interesting questions for this character specifically who makes so much of his identity on manipulation and trickery and surprising people how do you do that when you realize that the entirety of the timeline is set and nothing you do is ever really surprising, what does that do for you and your ego? Uh, where you're not really pulling one over, you're just following the directions of this, uh, of, of these three time lizards, as he says. Um, and yeah, so I think the way the show explores, or hopefully will explore, that um, will make some, will make for some of the most interesting thematic material in the MCU so far. And obviously one of the things we haven't really touched on yet is the villain teased in episode one, is supposedly Loki as well. Although, interestingly, earlier in the episode, when uh, it, when I think they're in a church in France, they ask her to point to who did this, and she points to the, the devil, um, mm-hmm. which made me think of Mephisto straight away because I think everyone was waiting for Mephisto 
in one division and then everyone's waiting for mephisto with anything coming before doctor strange and and then this seemed like a natural place for him to perhaps be to be fair to them though there wasn't a, a stained glass loki and a stained glass red skull and a stained glass like crossbones <laughs> horns or horns <laughs> horns or horns it's fine yeah um yeah i i will say having seen the second episode i, I you know I, I i haven't seen mephisto show up yet so we will see if that bears out but i do think that there is a, an element of uh, one chasing oneself in i think in the that's show pretty, i think that's really forward. smart i think that just is the perfect sense of this identity that we're exploring and it's just kind of the grand um mm-hmm. metaphor that we're really looking at so i think it makes the most sense that it is loki and not mephisto i just right. hope they don't do like a weird carrot dangling of is it going to be this is it going to be that i hope they just lay out like you know no it's not going to be this it's not going to be that it's this we'll see um, um yeah but uh yeah and then of course you know with the with the owen wilson dynamic as well you really see it bear out in episode two i'm, I'm not gonna, i promise i'm not going to spoil much but just you, you get a lot more of their dynamic and um i just love their their back and forth there is very much this feeling of like a, a, a not so much a mentor mentee thing as just sort of like a weary handler and kind of um, a subject that is at once eager to get out of there and also eager to please. Like there, you'll you'll see glimmers of of Loki kind of getting into this like new role that has been set for him uh, in ways that surprise even him, which um, I'm looking forward to. And also, um, you've seen some of it in the trailer, but uh, his his fashions as a as a TVA agent, there will be coaches jackets with the word variant on the back uh at comic cons for years to come now um yeah so it's 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 fun like the when they lean into the kind of the cop procedural part of it and loki leans into this like new role it's going to make for some really really cool scenes i don't know if you've ever seen the show um white collar which was kind of like a spiritual successor kind of spiritual sequel to catch me if you can it was very much inspired by that con man works for the fbi with the fbi agent that caught him that kind of thing mm-hmm. and i was kind of getting vibes from that as well i guess naturally from catch me if you can but also just it kind of feels like the owen wilson tom hiddleston relationship is gonna play out like that which again is a procedural sort of show so mm-hmm. I, th- I think i'm looking forward to that like the same way i liked that wonder vision as much as it was everything else that it was it was also just a sitcom and it was also a comedy mm-hmm. i hope that this is just as much a procedural cop show yeah yeah i agree um, those are the moments that work best. I hope they give more space to the supporting characters because right now we don't know a lot about them. There's Gugumbatha Ra as as this judge who is sort of a colleague of Mobius, but uh, you know distrusts his his trust in Loki and uh, Eugene Cordero as the nebbishy Casey. Yeah. It's always cute. I was I always like when he I shows Casey up. Show. I just want the yeah. Casey show. <laughs> Yeah, I would love that. Like, give him some webisodes or something. I mean, I guess these are all webisodes to of a sort. I guess. Uh, Good point. But uh, but yeah, the, those few. Uh, Wunmi Musaku, who was fantastic in a great oh, horror movie called His House last year on Netflix. Lovecraft Country as well. I absolutely adore oh, her. Right. Yeah, incredible. I want her to have more stuff to do. Uh, you will see um, Sasha Lane from America Honey from American Honey and the American remake of Utopia in the in the second episode um and i'm trying to figure it and you know in an undisclosed role but uh but but they have a really good cast for this and i hope that they make use of them in ways that um you know allow them to be more than just background players in the loki and mobius show i think given the caliber of some of these 
actors in background that they have to have a bigger impact don't they at least if not in this show at least at some point further down the line in the mcu kevin feige's always got a plan is the way i think of it yeah that or i mean these are working actors who would love some steady marvel money uh i'm sure that's how owen wilson's thinking of it even though he's having a blast um yeah they have a really easy chemistry together and that's just it's so surprising like again like you said that weariness that that lack of being impressed with the uh all the comic book machinations i think really works in owen wilson's favor he's just i'm just here to do a job man you know and i'm just gonna i'm gonna gonna just play this role it was clearly down to either owen wilson or martin scorsese for that role and uh (laughs) (laughs) just just mobius yammering on to loki about fellini (laughs) just talking about the pictures this is what i love about the picture I think uh, I think the choice of talent behind the scenes is really interesting as well for this. So um, Michael Waldron's the showrunner, so he worked a lot on Rick and Morty, which isn't necessarily my favourite show. Um, mm-hmm. I think that a lot of the fandom turned me off it before I saw it, which kind of just like left a bit of a mark. But yeah. there's still some very smart sci-fi in that, which I think is where Kevin Feige thought it would be a good fit. Um, and that's playing really well so far. But mm-hmm. he also got pulled off uh part way through this to go work on Doctor Strange 2. Um Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, I think is the full title. Yeah. So Ooh. I'm wondering how much this is then going to play into that because we're already talking about multiverses and the word madness already came up when talking about multiverses. So it seems like he was onto the right thing and Kevin was like, get on this guy <laughs> and, and started working I mean, him on uh, Doctor Strange. So I'm interested. I think this will probably talk I think everyone thought Perhaps WandaVision would tie very closely into Doctor Strange. But the uh, the multiverse seems to be the big phase four shift now, doesn't it? So I think seeing all of that teased out here, because I think in Spider-Man, it's going to be a lot about the multiverse. I think, uh, mm-hmm. I think yeah, obviously Doctor Strange as well, and now this. So I think it's really interesting that he's been pulled onto that. But the other talent I wanted to talk about was uh, Kate Heron, who was a director on the Netflix show Sex Education. I don't know if you guys have seen that. That show. Yeah, I think that show so funny, so so brilliant, and you can kind of see those sensibilities playing through here as well. So, big fan of her work, and I'm really excited. To I think she does six episodes of this, so good. Um, is that all of it? She does a lot then. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I, the the pedigree is really really interesting. I'm still getting used to the cinematography, which um, vacillates between being sort of endearingly moody and just sort of like, you know. And then, it, but then I also get frustrated that something that could have so much visual invention kind of just looks like Ozark. Um, <laughs> so, you know, like there's, there's sort of a fogginess that uh, they can sometimes grate, except there are, but there are like some brilliant moments of visual splendor, like just anything in the TBA with uh, when you see these, those greater exteriors that extend on and on for infinity. It's a very wow, Jack yeah. Kirby, very golden age kind of image. And I just love the, the, the subtle, the matter of factness by which, that is all there. It reminded me the first time we see it when uh, when they're going around that round uh, corridor reminded me of Cloud City in the special editions uh, when they expanded from those hallways. They're like, we're going to CG out a big old uh, landscape for you. Um, that was the first thing I thought of for some it's reason. It's a really sweet moment as well when Loki just says like, I thought there was no magic here. And he's just like, it's not magic. And I just thought that was a really like sweet moment. I, I like oh, stuff like that. I've, I've got like a, a whole, one of my, my infamous Yvagi Beans tangents based around the use <laughs> of uh, magic in the Marvel Universe, if, if anyone has the bandwidth for that. <laughs> yeah. Because I feel that's the very first time, or at least the first time I've been aware of, in, was that episode of Loki, where they have 
kind of delineated between magic and science. There's obviously that line in the first Thor film that kind of, mm-hmm. you know, rephrases Arthur C. Clarke's indistinguishable science and magic. And I think every depiction of magic in Marvel since then has kind of clung to, you know, this sort of grace notes napkin reading of quantum physics where it's all just about manipulating energy or, you know, thinking really hard and you can change reality. And I think here they just explicitly go, no, there's magic and magic does not work in TVA. Um, which I yeah. think is very, very interesting because the paradigm that had been set up was that as guardians are effectively just ancient aliens from Shakespeare planet. And yeah. <laughs> now we're looking at something very, very different. And I know there were hints of that in one division as well. And I really, mm-hmm. really hope we get to kind of explore the kind of nature of magic. Um, magic is something quite distinct in Doctor Strange and Multiverse of Madness. I know it doesn't mm-hmm. count, but because um, it's a Fox Marvel movie and not part of the MCU, but I thought it was interesting that um, New Mutants sort of touched on very similar territory with magic with a K, who, you know, as well as being a mutant, opens portals to limbo and, you know, conjures up a big Final Fantasy VII sword. So there's something going on in, in superhero movie land. Yeah. So that's kind of the first episode, but what do we think is coming for the, the rest of the show then? James, what, what are your thoughts for the rest of this series? Where do you All think right, my, episode six we're going to be at? My predictions, which are small, small but mighty, are we're going to see some sort of soft reboot or capacity to stealth launch other projects because it establishes obviously at the beginning of Loki, there is no multiverse. There's just the sacred timeline. And then in two releases time, we've got a multiverse of madness. So we are looking at a kind of multiverse nuke being detonated during the course of this series that is presumably going to kind of open up all sorts of weird and wonderful IPs from the Disney vault is what's actually happening here. Um, Mm -hmm. Kind of less significantly, I've got a suspicion you know, Richard E. Grant's playing an undisclosed role. And I think given the fact he's had something of a, a villain renaissance with um, Logan and Rise of the Skywalker, I think, you know, if he's not the variant, he's going to be a variant. So that's that's one prediction. And then maybe a slightly more esoteric prediction that ties in with my um, magic, my Marvel sorcery tangent is, you know, when they're going through that room in the TVA that has all the murals in it, and there's one of the timekeepers standing under a tree. Now, I, like I'm sure all of you guys, was instantly started thinking about the norms in Norse mythology, the kind of weavers of fate that, you know, water the world tree. And I thought, is that something, that is, is that going to be Loki's in? Is it going to explain something about Asgard and the Asgardians as well? Is there going to be a lot more going on here? I mean, basically, I'm putting a rather a lot of pressure on <laughs> Loki to make my my brother voodoo pitch make its way to Kevin Feige's desk. That's that's basically what I'm saying here. 
Right. We have to start somewhere. Um, I won't give specific predictions for episode two because I've seen it. And so I don't want to give anything away. But in terms of what I think the rest of the series is going to go, it's kind of difficult because I think um, unlike the first two Marvel shows, I think there may be a second season in development. So it's hard to say. So we can't necessarily treat this like a mini series. But I do think that the TVA is destined for some kind of either reckoning or destruction or something at the hands of, of Loki or or something like that. Um, and or at least an upending of the idea that your fate is tied to these three alien lizards who will determine your every move and and for the rest of time. Um, so I wonder, you know, yeah, like is maybe that's sort of the source of whatever kind of multiverse bomb that would go off, you know. Um, and other, th- but other than that, you know, I wonder uh, what it means for Loki too. Like, what kind of lessons Loki is going to learn as a character? Will he rehabilitate himself? Will he still have an angle? Will he sort of become one of those sort of anti-heroic figures who um, who will occasionally work for the side of good when it suits him, which we have seen before. Um, so yeah, I, I the 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 remaining four episodes I have yet to see hold a lot of promise. And I hope that the that the show holds to it. I think that the all the talk about the sort of how right everything is now and how wrong everything was before with the the multiverse wars, I think they called them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it ended with Loki kind of and uh, Mobius kind of discovering something wrong with the the lizards, the time lizards, and they kind of shift everything around, and you know these multiverse wars start again, or you know something like that, and that, mm-hmm. which triggers this kind of phase four look at the multiverse because yeah there's the spider-man and doctor strange at least coming in that in that space so i think that's where it's going to go on the way I, I just hope we get a great procedural show i know that's not a prediction that's just the hope i just i just want yeah. a fun procedural buddy cop exploration of of self mm-hmm. i think i hope if they get those fundamentals right that'll be nice yeah agreed so that's um that's our little look at loki but James, we've got some more Loki content coming out. Do you want to give us a little look at what we've got coming soon on The Companion? Well, I mean, I, I don't have to because the, the architect of this madness is, is sitting right here with us. Um, Steepling my fingers right now. Um, yeah, definitely polishing your yes. you are. <laughs> yes. Um, so, yeah, I, I have a piece coming up for The Companion in the next week or two um, related to Pride Month as well, because it is Pride Month. Happy Pride, everybody. Um, uh, exploring Loki's relationship to queerness in both the Marvel Universe and Norse mythology. Um, I actually just yesterday, the, the day before we record this, I spoke to, uh, to a wonderful queer religious historian um, who is focused a lot on Norse mythology. And Y'all, they're going to make me sound so smart. Um, <laughs> there's so many because there's so many beautiful instances, yeah, of of Loki, um, you know, expressing gender fluidity, and there's all kinds of stories in Norse mythology about turning into a woman and giving birth to like a horse or or siring siring creatures with horses. I'm I'm still doing the research, so don't take any of this as gospel. But there's a lot of really really great stuff coming, and um, I want to explore all of that the way Loki's own queerness is, is explored there, the way queer fandom has responded to Loki and also sort of that, that sticky question of Loki's status as a deceitful trickster, which is often a a code attributed to queer characters in media and to what extent Loki subscribes to or subverts or overcomes those 
those limitations. And I'm really excited to 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 write that very long piece uh, and get it published <laughs> for people to see. I can't wait to read it. And yeah, I think he's given birth to a wolf as well. I think he's I think he's the mother of a wolf and yeah, Fenrir like the wolf <laughs> and uh, and the uh, horse. Yeah, so it's, yeah. it's a fac- it's a fascinating character. Um, it's a mischievous in the comics camp. and in Norse yeah, mythology. Yeah. I mean, no no wonder he's a he's a he's a queer icon. I think giving birth to a horse is usually one of the tells when you're a teenager. Yeah, yeah. You start, you know, you start having funny thoughts. You start looking, uh, looking askance in the locker room, and you start giving birth to uh, to wolves. Yeah, yeah. My, <laughs> my dad wouldn't talk to me after I gave birth to that horse. <laughs> dad, I have to. <laughs> you are not my son. Um, <laughs> anyway. In fairness, uh, he gave Odin the horse. <laughs> this is Odin's horse. <laughs> yeah, it's a really nice gesture when you think about it. Um, so yeah, I'm looking forward to to sort of exploring that and crystallizing that into a, what is sure to be a monster of a piece. That's brilliant. So yeah, if anyone has any questions for for us and the companion. You know, for this podcast or for anything else you can email those over to me at uh, tommy at the app. otherwise I think that's it unless anyone's got anything else to shout out before we go I would just like to say that I think as much as I love Loki the the negative impact so far has been a glut of people describing things as being Kafka-esque now coming as it does the same week in which Richard Dawkins has claimed not to understand the plot of the metamorphosis I'm done with it so please stop <laughs> it's also like when uh, WandaVision was described as Lynchian. And it's like, you know, when's, what's the last David Lynch thing you watched? That's what I keep wanting to ask. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's Lynchian the same way that the straight story is Lynchian. <laughs> anyway, there you go. <laughs> um, yeah. Thanks a lot for listening for everyone. Uh, James and I will be back presumably at normal time next week. Cause I know we're a little bit late this week, but uh, back on Monday, hopefully. Yeah, looking forward to seeing you again, chaps. And uh, let us know if you enjoyed um, having Clint on. And let us know if you didn't and you hate his writing. Oh, God. <laughs> do, I have to, do I have to change addresses? Do I need to, to escape? You might. No. I might have to. I'm sure but yes, I'm sure thanks so much for having me on, guys. There'll just be more it. emails asking for James to be off the show that I don't tell him about. Okay. <laughs> I'm angling for your job, James. Yeah. <laughs> You've had your beans. Yeah, I've had some beans. That blew up in my face. <laughs>